welcome to another episode of This Is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a human-centred design practitioner based in Sydney, Australia. Before we jump in, however, as this podcast is recorded in the Sydney CBD, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land where we meet today and pay our respect to their elders, both past and present. So this episode breaks the usual format somewhat, as in this episode we have a panel of three people discussing diversity in culture. So we have Michelle Starr, Emma Jones and Anthony Quinn joining us. Anthony, you might remember from the very first episode of This Is HCD. We discuss the effects of poor organisational cultures on business outcomes and what businesses can do pragmatically to work towards creating a more diverse workplace, both from the top down and the bottom up. To give some additional context, I was recently playing the role of convener for the Royal Society of Arts in New South Wales in Australia, and I held an event recently at Fjord with the exact same panel. It was such a rewarding evening for everyone involved that I thought it might be something that this HCD audience might enjoy. From my perspective as a human-centred design consultant, I believe there is little point in engaging with design in isolation within organisations if you are not addressing the key points raised in this episode. So let's jump straight in. Hello, um, guys. This morning we've got Michelle Starr from Genek, and we've also got Anthony Quinn today from Dynamic Four, and we've got Emma Jones from Future of Work. So um, let's kick off. Uh, Michelle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hi, Jerry. I'm a uh, strategic change consultant, and I specialise in cultural change. Uh, so I do a lot of work around organisational culture and transforming those cultures. I'm a principal with Dynamic Four and what I do is I try to design social impact into business and sometimes business into social impact. With Dynamic Four we work a lot with startups and, and people who are in the early phases of getting their business off the ground so getting a diverse culture right for them is a really important thing. Hi, I'm Emma Jones and I am a talent leader so I am a consultant and I work with companies to help them to manage and deal with their talent challenges and people challenges. Great, guys. So welcome to the podcast. Um, Emma, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the topic today. The topic today is all about diversity in the workplace. We're going to be talking about all the different challenges and try and hack some of those and figure out why it still exists and where these challenges actually come from and what the outcome is if we can actually manage to deal with them and make some positive change. All right, guys. So, so look, I'm really interested in why culture and diversity is so important in the workplace. I've heard it a lot over the last couple of years in Australia, like um, the focus on culture is really important in, in enabling innovative thinking. But what I'm really interested in is to hear your perspective on um, what, why you believe it's so important and why it's so prevalent today. Well, first of all, in terms of diversity in the workplace, it's incredibly important with regards to people feeling that they can actually show up as their authentic selves within the workplace. It obviously has links there for into performing, how I'm actually performing in my role. If I'm spending less time concerned about how people are accepting me or interacting with me in the workplace, if I'm spending less time around that, I've actually got more headspace to focus on my activities and getting the work done. So you've got links into higher performance outcomes and essentially also greater outcomes in terms of teamwork. Yeah, I think I'd pretty much say the same thing, actually. I guess, you know, if you go back to, this is HCD, right? So human-centred design, it starts with people. And as Michelle said, if you've got a person or if you're that person and you're not really sure about where you fit in, 
then it's really hard for you to be yourself. It's really hard for you to figure out what you're supposed to do. It's really hard for you to make a contribution. That's what everybody really wants to do. So I guess it starts there with people and that's the whole purpose of it. And it sort of goes beyond that. You get into having a more robust organization, having a better business that's more, you know, if you're in a commercial space, that's more successful as a business in and of itself. So you get better financial results. You've got a business that'll be around for longer and you've got a business that's more reflective of the society that you're in. But why is it important though? When you look at it from a business perspective, many times I've spoken to CEOs and stuff and they say, hey, my culture is awesome. Like, you know, I walk into work and walk into the office and I'm high-fiving all the guys and they're playing pool and they're playing table tennis. But why is it important? Because if you're building products and services that are used by a multitude of different people, so whatever their backgrounds, um, sexual orientation, gender, etc., to build those products and services, design them with just one or a mono culture and a mono demographic, that's the perspective you're going to get. So you're going to miss all the perspectives of all those other people and types of people and backgrounds of people that are using those products and services. So it's quite limiting. But I guess from the perspective of the CEO who knows no different, they're shipping products and they're shipping value and they believe that everything is going well. But inside, when you speak to the, the people who are actually doing the work, they could be struggling. So how would you recommend those CEOs connect those worlds to get a better outcome from a diverse approach? In terms of culture, I mean, culture is nearly always led by leadership. So if you've got a CEO, corporate CEO or government CEO, whomever, who is saying our culture is great and yet the people are struggling, there's a fundamental disconnect there. So that CEO needs to, first of all, actually touch base with employees to go and actually have conversations with those employees and find out what's actually happening, where people's pain points are, where they're struggling. And if that's flowing down the line into product services, customer feedback, it's really important that that leader gets out there and actually finds out from the frontline staff, you know, what's actually their reality. Engagement surveys will help with that. So most companies will run an engagement survey at some point, uh, probably every year. And it's being able to read those and, and be open to what they're reading. So if a, C a CEO will see where there's levels of engagement that are below where they should be and needs to be open to the potential of, of what that actually means. I also find though that engagement surveys, they're incredibly useful and yet I still feel that for a leader to actually get out and speak, have those more informal conversations with people, that's where those golden piece of inf information come back. People sometimes in, in organisations are still quite hesitant to actually really share what they're feeling within engagement surveys. So if you have more of an informal relationship, getting out there and talking with staff, building that fundamental trust with staff, you're going to get feedback that's just not going to come through in an engagement survey. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to when you have those conversations, and I suppose it's probably worth saying as well that when we say CEO, we're not necessarily talking about, you know, big company CEO. This could be a lot of people listening to this probably work in design agencies and places like that that aren't necessarily big in inverted commas, is that you gotta go back to why you're doing it in the first place. So as Michelle says, having and it's just like the design process is having conversations with people but being really upfront and open with them about why you're having that conversation in the first place. So, you know, if you imagine you put yourself in somebody else's shoes and you imagine, well, this is a person who, you know, let's go back to that statement about being judged. So 
if you imagine this is a person who might feel judged or they're not really sure about where they fit in, well, they're, like, they're going to be anxious. So then you've got to acknowledge that and say, this is why I'm having this conversation and get right into that and not be afraid to go there because unless you do, then they're probably not going to want to open up to you. And it's a bit like, you know, it sounds a little bit trite maybe, but it's a bit like when you collect personal information or a phone number or an email on a, on a web form. What are you going to do with that information? Why should I give it to you? Why would I give you my date of birth? I've been told not to give that to people. The same thing. So the first thing you got to do is establish some trust and tell people that you're doing this for a reason. Here's what the reason is. And then go from there. And I think Michelle is spot on. You've got to be prepared to just listen and learn. And, and you'll probably hear stuff that you don't want to hear and that isn't particularly nice. But that's what you've got to do. You've got to start with that and, and go from there. And isn't it interesting though, Anthony, because what I find is that many leaders and regardless of whether they're C-suite leaders or leaders within the organisation are oftentimes, I hesitate to use the word afraid, but that's what I see, to actually have those genuine, authentic conversations where they open themselves to hearing feedback that is relatively scary to hear in terms of this is a reality of what me as an individual employee is actually experiencing within the company. And so oftentimes leaders won't reach out in that respect. The other thing I think that I've certainly witnessed is that the leaders are trying to rally the troops. They're trying to get everybody to feel incredibly positive and to drive this very positive culture. And that's where culture, I think, gets a little bit used in the wrong way. And, they, you know, think of it as Kool-Aid the term of people drinking the Kool-Aid and they want everybody to be, you know, feeling like they're all very cool and and everything's great and this great culture and be very proud of where we work. But then the reality can be quite different from that. But nobody necessarily wants to stand up and go, actually, this doesn't feel good. You know, I'm in this great place that's got pool tables, that's got loads of food and chefs and, and everybody loves working here. And I've got to tell all my friends how great it is working here. And, you know, and it's all social media makes us all look like the best company to work for in the world. But the reality can feel very different. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I think, quite a tough thing for a CEO to take a step back from. Any CEO would potentially struggle with fighting against that or going against that grain. And also for an employee to actually stand up and say, hello, something's not quite right here. Exactly. You know, it's, you're talking about surface level stuff and what we're really feeling is something entirely different. There's some really great insights there coming from the CEO perspective, but just changing the conversation a little bit more towards the employee. And if they're in that environment at the moment where they don't feel that they're being heard and they don't feel that there's a diverse culture actually around them, what can they do to actually enable that, that type of conversation to happen at the sea level? It's a tough thing for an employee because, again, they don't want to put their head up and you know call themselves out as being not on board. And they can actually, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but it is a fact that they can receive quite a, a bit of a backlash from that. So Definitely. it's a tough thing. They'd have to have a, um, somebody trusted. And it, if it's not a forward-thinking company to the point where they're actually recognising that they need to have mentors and sponsors of people and they're not necessarily going to have that network and that ability to deal with it upwards, to take that message upwards and to discuss it. Particularly if it's, if it's a heavily hierarchical organisation, an employee is going to struggle getting those messages up the chain. As you said, Emma, you know, unless they've actually got someone there who's going to support them getting that message up the chain, 
I would say that possibly the best way to go about it if you are an employee is to maybe have some, for example, some maybe even a brown bag conference at lunchtime where you can have a guest speaker ring. Um, it doesn't require leadership approval to have someone, or well, not often, to have someone actually coming in speaking, for example, on diversity at work and have that set up. Uh, and you can do that at a, you know, at any level within the organisation. Yeah, so bringing outside influence in Absolutely. to your organisation to help other people to feel a little bit more comfortable Planting with the, the potential. Seed. Yeah, yep. yeah, great. Yeah, idea. it's not. It's definitely not an easy thing to do, and it probably takes an awful lot of courage on the part of the individual, especially if you're in a if you're in an organisation or any construct that just doesn't feel right for you. That's a tough thing to be the bearer of bad news because it can feel like it's going to turn back on. So maybe I'm the problem here, right? That's the sort of sense that can fostered but I guess maybe there's two things one is how you approach it in a way that's direct enough that it gets attention but not necessarily confrontational so it scares people away is probably the thing and maybe it's just asking for advice so you know I know you're interested in in running the company and running it well maybe you and I could have a chat about ways that we could do that better Mm. and then you that gives you an in to have more of a conversation and then you can cite things but I think the other thing as well is you don't necessarily have to make it about you and about the other person directly, because that can be tough. You could actually put together a business case, but again, that's not an easy thing to do, mm-hmm. you know. So you can actually look at. So I'm going to have a conversation with another person here, whether they're you know the CEO or my boss or or even a colleague, just to see if we can get something happening here. I suppose you got to look at well, what are they interested in, and how do I get their advice on how to move that on and and bring this into the conversation, and maybe also what what might they be afraid of. So how do I make it safe for them to have this conversation with me as well? So they're not necessarily easy things to do. And, you know, I mean, it's a pity that it's something an employee should have to do. But I guess, you know, it's also something that customers do, right? And they do it very differently. They'll just walk away. They don't always tell you that I'm leaving your business because I don't feel like I fit in. I feel judged. So, you know, maybe another way to do it is to actually put together a business case around customers and say, hey, look, do we really know our customers here? You know, is our customer base actually reflective of the society and the community that we live in? Yeah. So it might be a case of where the employee feels that they're, they're not actually being heard and they're not in that culture that they so desire. But what can they do to, you know, there's going to be a conflict whenever they say that to the board or, or to their manager or whoever it is, because the manager might believe that it is a diverse culture. So are there any tools or are there anything that we can actually point people in the direction to that might actually help them bring that closer. So they actually say, the reality is this, you think this. Because that's usually what I do in the design world where you're actually like, you go and you do your research, you bring it back and you go, this is our question, this is what the customers have said, what are we going to do about it? And put it back to the people. There's a couple of things that you can do just very easily and one of them is to start to look at the actual diversity numbers in your business that's not too difficult to find every HRIS system will have those numbers so your people and culture team will be able to give you those numbers so you can look at the actual split of diversity Um, you can also then see if they've actually done a any kind of a pay gap analysis that gives you more clues Um, so you can look at the mix you can look at the pay gap depending on the size of company some of those numbers are actually available on the WGEA site so they're all up to date they're done very regularly I was just looking last night at some of the companies in Australia and their diversity mixes and there were companies that would probably suggest that they have a very diverse mix of people. Some of the big banks I was looking at and 
it's quite shocking, actually, when you see it. And then you start to get a sense of, actually, where is our perspective? How are we viewing this? So if a company thinks, oh, we're a very diverse culture, the numbers will tell you different. And that gives you a little bit more of a concrete place to start from. And there would also be the question then of whether companies who may think they're diverse or may understand that they're not diverse. Exactly. Not providing that data to, you know, any old person within the organisation. So you've got, and there won't be people also who will feel confident enough. So if you're actually from a diverse background, if you're not feeling accepted and included at work, I would assume that you probably won't have the confidence to reach out and say, can I have your diversity stats from the HR department? Mm. So for me, it comes back to starting a small movement, I guess, and that would be from conversations that you would have with your immediate teammates. Yeah. Starting that conversation, suggesting, for example, that maybe someone comes in to speak or Mm. even have it bringing it up at a team meeting. You Mm. know, can we talk about diversity and inclusion within the workplace? Yeah. You could be in that situation where you're an employee and you're just frustrated and you hate your job and you think that like, oh, maybe it's diversity. Maybe there's, there's not enough diversity in the company. But what does a diverse culture look like? So sometimes it's very hard to say to people what, what diverse culture looks like and one company could be different to another company. Is that fair to say? I would think so. And what does a diverse company culture look like? It's a really great question. But I would see it as, first of all, coming back to what I originally said, people being able to show up authentically at work, regardless of their gender, religious background, sexual orientation, etc. But also how I would see the manifestation of that would be teams working effectively together and not just within your team, across teams. I would see that it would also be people's opinions openly accepted and embraced and actually called for as well. I think you'll find that some of the outcomes, some of the results will be evident in the retention rates so retention of high performers, retention of talent that's been identified as top performing talent, and also their actual ability to hire great talent as well. There's plenty of evidence that shows that where companies have higher levels of diversity, for example, at board level. So if it's over 10%, the return is, is much better. If you've got 50% representation at board level, your ability to hire great talent is almost triple so other companies and also the return the actual um, revenues and financial performance of the company is up to something like 58% higher than others so there are some leading indicators like that or should I call them lagging indicators yeah I think um, those indicators are really important and you can even take it down a level and so if you're you know again let's just say you're a design practitioner listening to this you can look at your team and you can look at your practice and you can, look, you can look at whether those indicators actually even exist in your practice. So let's just say you're a person who does a lot of research, right? Customer research or something like that. Are you actually including in your research, are you consciously including a diverse range of people in that research? Yeah, yeah, representation. Do you actually measure it for a start? So I guess there are really simple tactical things that you can do like that that you maybe have more control and influence over where you can actually start saying, well, the first thing I want to do is learn about this topic. I want to learn what diversity actually means and I want to learn about inclusion and I want to understand how I would actually even figure out whether that's there or not in the first place because it'll probably be slightly different 
for every company. But you can do things like that. You can actually look at your own practice and say, well, how many, you know, if I look around my team, is it a diverse team? Or have I just got, you know, unwittingly one type of person here without realizing it? Do I have any biases myself? And maybe that's a good place to start is just go get some unconscious bias training and start learning and you go from there, you know? So there are probably really simple things you can do and there are really big things you can do. So guys, what's the one thing that's stopping people from moving forward? Like what are the hurdles and the obstacles that are in place in the workplace? I think um, this is going to possibly be a controversial put forward, but I think it's got to do with where power sits in the organisation and how that plays out. So people will not intentionally do anything that could be seen as a threat to their status and power within an organisation. I can go, I'm being quite philosophical about this right now. But in terms of when you actually open up diversity, you're opening up to an increased level of risk within not just the organisation, but also within your power base, within your the status that you hold within an organisation. So what I do see a lot in organisations is a lot of risk adversity. So having these authentic conversations, having these conversations where you're saying, I know something's not quite right, let's have some open, authentic conversations around diversity, around our culture, there is a sense of risk attached to that because you're opening up into the unknown. And I think even on an individual level, people are concerned about doing that themselves opening up to the big why questions about, you know, why am I here, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that also has a place within organisations, that there is this fear of if I open this up, am I opening a can of worms? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's spot on. Like you've got to really get into what are people afraid of here as much as what are the positives of doing this? Because if you, if you don't lance that boil... If you don't put it on the table, I always say a lot of the work I do is trying to get the stuff that we keep under the table onto the table so that we can all see what we're dealing with. But a lot of people are scared to actually bring that to the table. They want to keep it underneath. And to have a healthy, robust, fully functional culture, it's about addressing those things, bringing it to the table and saying, ah, okay, I see that we've got some great things here in our culture and we've got some not so great. Let's talk about how we can move that. I totally agree. And I I think that this is where design has a role to play. So if you go back to the outside in thing, which is a lot of what design is all about, you can put these conversations, you can start to air these things by saying, well, you know, for example, one in every three customer last year walked away from a transaction because they felt judged. Wow. Yep. Big stat, a lot of business there. So what if you were to do something like map? So here's here's a customer's journey through an experience. And here's why that happened. Now, what happens outside often is reflective of our internal. That's as much an expression of our culture as anything internal. So now let's look at what's happening internally to drive that outcome. And to me, that's what human-centered design is all about, service design. And one of the things that I do, and it's one of the most satisfying things, is to create a candidate and then a uh, an employee journey map and using the same principles of actually mapping that down and, and seeing all the different touch points that the company has, the experiences that a candidate goes through from when they first become aware of a company through to join and then beyond join all the way through to performing and exit. And when you start to look at that granular level, it's 
incredible what you uncover. And as you said, Michelle, some of that stuff is quite uncomfortable for a company to look at. So what do you say to the the board or the C-level or the managers, whoever it may be in, in the companies that look at a representation of their the organization in terms of quotas? And they're like, hey, well, when I look at my, my spreadsheet here, I can see that I've actually got the right percentages in the business. Is that the right thinking to have or is, is there an alternative approach that we're maybe not aware of? It's not a bad thing to do. I guess it doesn't stop there. And the thing is that you'd probably, you know, in all honesty, struggle to find a company that actually across, you know, no pun intended, across the board, and I don't just mean the board, C-level leadership roles, all that kind of stuff, but right across the organization and outside the organization in terms of customers that actually has got a fully representative base of people employees and customers that are reflective of the community that we live within. I dare you get it. And that's not to be black hat. And I would say that um, a lot of this is driven by all the unconscious biases that everybody has. Um, And conscious. And conscious. But most of them seriously are unconscious. Um, So it's things that people are, which is why they're unconscious biases. We're not aware of it. Everybody has them. There's no finger pointing, no shame. Uh, We all have them. I have them. And unfortunately, Unless you're aware of them, you can't change it necessarily. But if you're aware of them, you can change how you make decisions. And that's, I think it's the decision making, those points of making decisions that, you know, shape those outcomes for organisations. So if people start to become aware of those biases, they can manage them. I I think a, a lot of effort has gone into the study of unconscious bias. And as you were saying, you know, not to point the finger, not to take on shame and blame. I think that we're also dancing around conscious bias. And I think that that's because of the shame associated with saying, actually, yes, I, you know, I do have a bias and I know that it's not unconscious because I'm clear that, yes, I do have a bias. And so we tend to say, oh, well, you know, Jerry couldn't possibly be biased, therefore he must have unconscious bias around this. But the truth is, to a greater or lesser degree, we all are biased around something. So it's about owning that. And not just saying it's something that's unconscious, actually saying, yes, I do have biases. And how am I actually, what kind of outcomes are coming from those biases, both conscious and unconscious biases? You know, I went to a meetup the other day, a tech meetup, and there was, the majority were male. Um, there were a handful of females in the room and um, one of the girls who had accidentally walked in with me and she was sat next to me and she said, oh, I feel really uncomfortable here. I feel like I shouldn't be here. And I said, don't be ridiculous. You know, this is for everybody. Anyway, and then as the meeting kicked off, the moderator had stood up and was doing the housekeeping stuff and directed people to where the toilets were. But what he didn't realise was that he only directed to where the male toilets are. And that was, you know, and um, someone else had to step in and say, oh, and actually the female toilets are at the other end of the corridor. So that was, a, you know, that's just a typical unconscious bias. Absolutely. Yeah. And it all has an impact on, you know, the other side of the coin in the room, all the people who are not of that typical expected stereotype. Right. So we're, we're coming to the end of this episode. And I just want to, first of all, thank you guys for being here today. But before we do that, maybe there's one thing that you could leave the listener with that they can do to actually improve their culture in the organization today. So what advice could you give to the people listening? 
I would recommend making yourself aware of where you sit on this, specifically on biases, will probably help you, um, just so that you can understand and you can be knowledgeable when you talk to others about it. So you can take something called the implicit association test. It takes something like eight minutes to do. So it's really easy. Just type into Google implicit bias test and it'll come up. And it literally will blow your mind when you see the stats. And I should add that all the topics today and all the links will be in the, the show notes for the, uh, the podcast. Okay, so I'm going to talk to design practitioners and I'm going to say two things. One is get your hands on a report called Missing Out, the business case for customer diversity, because that will give you some useful stats to start building a business case that's relevant within your organization or your customer base, because you might have to tweak it a little bit. And the second thing that I'm going to say to do is to look for the indicators within your own practice and start thinking about, you know, just look to yourself and say, well, what am I doing and not doing consciously or otherwise about diversity and inclusion? And what's the one thing that I actually could do that's really small and just get started on it? And I would say start having those conversations with your fellow team members and see if you can get diversity on your team agenda. Uh, for your next team meeting, see how you can promote awareness of diversity within your organisation. And it always comes back to you. So, you know, take the unconscious bias or implicit bias test, read up on diversity and find out what you can. But first of all, look within and say, how does any bias show up in my life and get any unconscious bias conscious? So guys, thank you so much for being here. It was absolutely brilliant to have you uh, on the podcast, uh, especially the three of you together, which is uh, extra special. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, I know all three of you are on the Slack channel for This Is HCD. I'm looking at Anthony because he's lapsed I'm, a little I'm bit. I'm all over like a rat. <laughs> he's lapsed in the last <laughs> couple of weeks, but he's, he's usually back on there. But his partner, Ben, is always on there, which is fantastic. So if anyone wants to reach out to you and speak a little bit more, you're all open to, to having conversations. Absolutely. Definitely. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you'd like to be part of the conversation or community, hop on over to thisishcd.com where you can request to join the Slack channel and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time.